0: This community is a whole being, a whole entity, and we should think about it that way. So like, like you can't say, oh, you know what, like I'm actually really healthy. Like my arm is falling off because gangrene, but otherwise I'm very healthy.
1: Part BN. Elections Edition. Here we go from the Play Normal Esports Studio. This is PodBN Election Edition. I'm Tyson. I'm Justin. And today we are talking to our council candidate, Jen Carrillo, running for Ward 6 in Bloomington.
2: We want to thank Little Beaver Brewery. Uh, they are sponsors. That They're located right off uh, Veterans Parkway near the Big Gold's Gym. Be sure to check them out. They have a wide selection of beers and food now. So check them out. And Jen... Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: you're kind of a new face um, to many people in, in Bloomington, at least over the last six months or a year or so. We, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks. So, Jen, let start out. Just tell us a little bit about you, uh, how long you've been in Bloomington, and what uh, where were you? Where'd you grow up? Kind of okay. give us a background a little bit.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, I was born in Mexico City. Uh, I came to the United States with my family when I was 10 years old, um, and uh, you know, as immigrants, lived in Chicago for a number of years. But then eventually, like my dreams of being able to go to school, like finally materialized, and I was able to come down to ISU, study psychology there. Um, was a was a nerd kid living in DeGarmo for you know the time that I spent at ISU, and. Uh, and then decided to stay uh, because I connected with a community group called Illinois People's Action while I was in school. Um, I was also really involved in the Occupy movement on campus, so like that is when like activism and community organizing like came into my life, and um, you know it was very very much needed. So like. Uh, it was around maybe my second or third year that I was at school um, is when Arizona passed SB 1070, uh, which was the show-me-your-papers law. Okay. And uh, that really was a moment in my life, right? Um, because as somebody who had uh, come to the States, uh, I always just thought that the immigration system was like this kind of like innocuous bureaucracy. Um, and there were people who like had an easy time getting through it and a hard time, but I didn't really I didn't have a very good like racial or class analysis around how people fare in the immigration system. But what Arizona's SB 1070 pointed out to me was like this was about how, brown people. It wasn't just about immigrants because nobody the police weren't out there, you know, profiling Swedish sure. people that they thought were undocumented, right? It was about people who looked like me and my family and that Got, you know, that lit a fire under me, and I started organizing students uh, around getting like a day of solidarity on May 1st. I remember it was finals week, and I'd never done anything like it, but I just started organizing. And then um, Sonny Garcia, who was working at Illinois People's Action at the time, just heard about this girl who was like organizing all of these students to yeah. mobilize, and he connected with me, and that was the first time that I felt like there were people who shared my worldview and who instead of telling me that I was naive for believing that the world could be different, actually honored my struggles and encouraged me to like be an agent in creating that world. Yeah. So that's why I decided to stay and here I still am.
2: So you found your people. Yes I did. Yeah, no, yeah, I yeah, that's do. that's like a thing like with everybody I think like I feel that same way um obviously uh not with immigration but just when you start getting those group of people around you that you're like these people lift me up more than tear me down like that's a a powerful thing to help motivate you so so is that is that what got you interested in politics initially or um did you just think I'm just gonna kind of go through ISU I'm gonna organize students while I'm here I mean where did the kind of thing flip for you where you're like, maybe I can do more than that. Maybe there's another step beyond that.
0: Well, so, you know, I I started engaging in community organizing after that. So I became a leader for their... uh, Immigrant rights campaign. Okay. So, like, I started working with other people, some undocumented, some documented, but all immigrants in the community who wanted to advocate for fair immigration reform um, and also for driver's licenses for undocumented people in the state of Illinois, uh, understanding that it was a big, that was a big problem and a a big reason that folks who had otherwise not committed any crime and who were just trying to live out their lives, like, were getting swept up into the immigration system. So that was where I got my start. Eventually, like, I was kind of like that kid who, like... You know, like hung up, hung out at the office like long enough that they finally were like, okay, we'll give you a job. Yeah. Um, so then I start, I I took on that role. So I was an immigrant rights organizer, and then kind of branched out to organize around a lot of other issues like environmental issues. Like I worked on municipal aggregation here locally. Um, worked ar- uh, on a campaign around payday loans, um, and creating alternatives to payday lending in the community worked uh, on economic justice campaigns around the state budget, like, all kinds of other things. And so, like, my experience in organizing uh, kept growing, and it was great. Uh, And eventually, I also became very interested in, like, doing training, which is how I ended up at the YWCA um, as their mission impact director. Very
1: cool. Yeah. So, Illinois People's Action, um, I assume from the name, that's a statewide organization. Mm -hmm. What's the mission of that organization?
0: So the the mission of Illinois People's Action is like to build people power for uh, for issues that um, that matter, right? So economic, gender justice, racial justice issues. Um, so so it's a uh, you know based out of like a the traditional community organizing model, like that came out of like Chicago, um, and uh, but but doing that actually like outside of Chicago, which I think is what makes it, you know, really different. So they have, like, chapters throughout central Illinois. So I've spent time in, like, Champaign and Peoria and Decatur um, doing similar work. It's a faith-based organization. So that was another really cool experience is I got to work with people of all faith traditions, like, who disagree on a lot of things, but, like... Agree that the way that you live out your faith is by working for justice, and that's something that really,
1: really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's a um, like a political action side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the main focus, or is there like a uh, like a in religious terms like a ministry perspective of trying to um, like a charity perspective, or is the primary goal the, the political influence?
0: No, so the yeah the primary goal, and like I would describe it less as like I mean yeah to some degree it's political influence but Uh it's like educating issue uh, doing issue education so for example like if you've never taken out a payday loan you're maybe like what is that right Mm -hmm. but like Few people realize that, you know, these are places that are charging 400% interest and how people get swept up into cycles of poverty, right? So, like, part of what I would do there was, like, I would go to different congregations and do, like, educational pieces around that. Or, like, immigration. Like, a lot of congregations were interested in learning more about how was it that people ended up getting, you know, sucked up into ICE and and the for-profit detention system. So we did a lot of education and then also hope that through that, that we would have, you know, let's say like 200 active members that could speak to those issues. One of the principles and the things that I love most about working in that world is like, it's not advocacy, right? So it's not like I, Jen, was speaking on behalf of a whole bunch of other people. It's mm-hmm. like we were meeting people who had been affected by payday loans to tell their stories themselves and to like... Bring that forth to the folks who were legislating on those issues, right? Because nothing is as effective as like people telling their own stories and their own lived realities.
2: Okay, yeah, that, that's interesting because I mean, I uh, following your campaign, I, I've noticed the listening sessions you do, and I can see the ties and the similarities mm-hmm. between that and, and what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, is that kind of where you got that idea to just let those people tell them, tell their own stories?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like. I am running for office. I never thought that I would do it. <laughs> but if I'm here doing it, like I want to be the type of politician that I wish that I had always had in my life, you know? Yeah. Um, and to me, somebody who's willing to, like honor people's experiences like because i mean i i appreciate that we have a lot of smart people on the city council but i don't appreciate that we discount people's lived experiences and we have to have like five studies about something <laughs> before we like believe folks right so like yeah. you know in terms of like the tensions within police and communities of color that was one thing where it's like yo, people have been talking about this for a really, really long time. You spend, you know, when when I moved to the West Side, it's like if I sit on my porch for two hours, I'm going to watch like 10 cop cars go by, right? That is my lived experience as a West Sider, and anybody who has been there for a minute will tell you that. But for whatever reason, we needed the validation of, you know, the Stevenson Center who did their study before that was something that anybody would move on. And again, I don't want to, like... I'm not a part of the, like, anti-academic or, like, science isn't real movement, right? But I do think that there's a lot of value in representatives who are willing to take, to, like, believe people, right? In the same way that, like, the Me Too movement is, like, believe women when they tell you um, yeah. that they've been violated don't immediately jump to questioning which is what we as a society like tend to do mm-hmm. yeah i feel that's really really important so that's what i was trying to model in those listening sessions
1: yeah i can't remember uh, these all these uh conversations are running together at this point but at some point <laughs> justin you said like for something so important with city government if somebody comes with an issue and they're upset about it um even if that even if you believe that that thing that they're upset about, like that anger, that emotion is misplaced, like they're still having an experience there and you need to um to like appreciate that and respect that, right? So, you know, if someone is coming into city council and flipping out the uh, street that, that Bloomington doesn't even own has potholes on it, like you can just say like, well, that person's ignorant because they, they don't know that that's not our responsibility but that person's still frustrated about something and so you gotta go and uh, Concerns you know. real
2: to them, I think. Yeah. It, yeah. 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 yeah,
0: And being heard is is transformative. Like, you know, we, we, we're a culture that talks a lot, but, like, I think the experience of actually being heard is rare yeah. um, uh, in government and outside of it. And so, like, I find that to be a really beautiful space for community building is when you actually, like, aren't sitting around waiting for your turn to speak but really give people a space to tell their stories like they want to tell their stories yeah. like some of these folks have never been asked no one has ever asked them like what's your deal right. so they really appreciate it um, but then I think the other piece that I'm trying to make central to my campaign is like then taking action. Yeah. So it's important to hear those stories. It's important to have the conversation. But then something's got to move because otherwise we, we get stuck.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll I'll, die, I'll I'll take that bait a little bit <laughs> because I, I I mean I, I know that um, one of the things that you've said um, on campaign literature and I think you've even said it publicly is that that's one of the that's one of the concerns that you're hearing from constituents about your opponent Karen Schmidt mm-hmm. um, is that she she'll listen to everyone um, but doesn't take action on items. Right. Can you expand on that a little bit? and tell me um, in more detail what you've been hearing.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the thing to maybe lead with and the most shocking thing to me is how many people whose doors that we have knocked on that have, have no idea who she is. Yeah. Um Which is, to me, you know, as an organizer, as somebody who really values building relationships, like, to me, that signals a problem, right? Um, Particularly because there are the folks who are, like, a part of the kind of like insider crowd. And like those folks have a lot of access and a lot of influence and always have an open ear, but the people who most need it and most are struggling with the, with the status quo um, seem to be the people that are, that are uh, left out. But, but, you know, even, even outside of that, like, I just have not, I have just not seen my representative take a real, uh, leadership on a lot of the issues that are important to me. And yeah. that's what put me in this chair.
2: Okay. I think, I think that's what, uh, something you touched on is true. Um, and that's that there's, we're in a bubble. Um, and especially myself who is just kind of a political nerd anyway, and, and likes to local community and government and talk, you know, I'm the person that will email my, representative on city or county or wherever and say let's meet for coffee most people don't know that you can do that and they wouldn't do that um but that's how you kind of get inside and like i feel not that i'm some inside junkie or anything but i am i am privy to where to go for information right i'm i know i know if i see um four cop cars go down my street in a given two hours that I can text someone or call someone and say, hey, what's going on? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or, you know, if I, I mentioned on a previous podcast we deal with speeding down my road, and I've been talking about it for 10 years now, but um, I know who I can bug to make that happen. But a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there is something to that that we take, we take for granted, I guess, that we everybody in our ward, because uh, I live in Ward 6 as well, everybody in our ward knows a representative. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's going to be difficult for anybody to get to know any, everybody, but. uh,
0: But I think that it's also a question of like, what is your approach to access? Right. And is the approach to access, Hey, I have an open door policy. I have an open phone line. Call me if you have any problems that puts the burden on the constituent to like build the relationship where I think it's actually the opposite. Like I think the burden is on me as a representative if elected to go meet people where they're at and like that's what that's like day one of organizer school is like meet people where they're at like physically but also in terms of like you might be hot for recycling right Right. but when you go knock on a door you have to have the humility to like step back and shut up and make space for somebody else to like bring their story into the mix right
2: so what are some of the high level um, issues that 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 drove you to make the decision to run? Um, I mean, I, I first met you, I think, during the Welcoming City thing, sure. so, so I think that's definitely going to be one that, that you'll mention. But is there any others? And then what about the Welcoming City thing made you um, decide that, you know what, if if they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it kind of thing. And I appreciate that attitude because that's very much how I think. <laughs> 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 but, but yeah, kind of touch on some of the high-level issues. And we can go a bit more in the weeds maybe in the second half. But
0: Sure, yeah. And, I mean, like, I will – to some degree, defer to the to the second half because, like, I am of the mindset that like issues change mm-hmm. all the time, right? So sure. like we can be talking about like a gas tax today right, that like right. I may or may not to like, get to weigh in on. So like there wasn't really an issue that like drove me, but it, to me it's about values, right? It's, like, it I'm I'm I can be very like cold and logical, mm-hmm. but I mean if I'm being honest, like the thing that put me like in in this campaign was like feeling like my values aren't being like the values that are being lifted up and lived out at our at our at a municipal level like it irks me to hear people just like talk about like what a wonderful community this is um, and at the same time the like the cognitive dissonance of like oh yeah this is a community where like white families are bringing home Like an outrageously greater amount of income than, like, black families. It's a community in which, like, uh, people of color are much more likely to be, like, arrested, searched by the police. Um, It's a community in which, like, many, many people are struggling with affordable housing. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a community in which, like, business owners struggle to, like, establish themselves. And so it's, like... That doesn't negate that we are a great pe- place to live. Like sure. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. But I'm not hearing that reality. Like being honored and acknowledged and I'm not seeing people acting with urgency, right? Like the folks that I'm in relationship with like that are don't have housing like and don't have access, don't in their foreseeable future don't see themselves finding a place where they can live. Like That's an urgent issue for them, right? And I just don't see anybody on the city council that's, like, that worried about it. Like, I don't think they're losing sleep over it. um, But I'm losing sleep over it, and I want to bring that to that table.
2: And those are some, I mean, all very legitimate concerns. Um, But what can be done at the council level to help with that? What kind of policies, um, what kind of discussion needs to be had if you do win on April 2nd um, that will lead to solutions to some of those concerns?
0: Well, I think like the very first step is even having the possibility of like <laughs> I don't know, entertaining that there is a problem and what that problem is, right? Like the, I am not afraid to talk about structural racism and the yeah. ways that structural racism show shows up in our community. Right. That's not a word I've ever heard anybody else on the city council utter, <laughs> right? Sure. And and so I think that that's where it starts like if we can all agree like nobody's out there trying to be prejudicial or for the most part people aren't for sure but this is the outcome of a system and so like how are we going to you know so one critical thing is like making up for historic disinvestment right what like on the surface you might think oh like all of the wards getting the same amount of funding allocated for like streets mm-hmm. um, that makes sense and that's fair right but like we have certain areas of the community that are very affluent and we have areas of the community that have been neglected for decades, right? So to me, it's not about Equality, everybody gets the same. It's about equity. It's about how do we lift up the people who are struggling the most, recognizing that all ships rise with the tide.
2: And it's not even just affluent. It's just the the age of some. Of, I mean, the, the idea right. that um, <laughs> exactly. you know, and, and I and I mentioned Ward Nine, and I think in a previous podcast, and I really don't mean to be picking on Ward Nine so much, but <laughs> but Ward Nine is one of the newer areas of Bloomington, right? It's newer construction, that kind of thing, and the idea that they have the equal amount of money getting spent on infrastructure as a Ward Four, or Ward Six, or Ward Seven is, is kind of crazy. But, I mean, when you, when you I, consider that we still have the shared sewer and storm drains in much of historic Bloomington, um, where yeah. every time it rains you get the smell of sewer, <laughs> I don't understand how, how we don't get more money funded to just fix that concern. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. that seems like that seems like a low standard, right? right. That we should be able to to meet. So, um, I think. For sure, we should be like finding ways to have more resources, but the resources, like the, some of those resources, are already there. It's about like how we, how we allocate them, and also who, who we're thinking about, right? So um, I just answered the WGLT questionnaire, and, and one thing that I said is like, it's 2018. We do not have, like, you don't get cookies for thinking about, like, how does this affect women? How does this affect people of color? How does this affect the LGBTQ community? Like, to me, at this point, like, that should be baseline. So, like, if we're talking about some new project and we are not considering, and not just in our heads, but openly, like, discussing how is this going to affect historically marginalized communities, I think that's a huge miss.
2: So, I guess the follow-up I would have... um and we've talked about this with other candidates, too, is is I agree with you. I'll put that out there. But how do we get the, the aldermen in Ward nine and Ward eight and some of the newer? I mean, no one specifically, whoever holds those mm-hmm. seats. How do we get them to who are representing the newer neighborhoods to say, yeah, you can have some of our money because that, that's a relationship thing. Right. So, so how do we do that?
0: I think it's about, yeah, it's about building relationship, um, but it's also about self-interest. And I'm going to steal this back from Jeff Crable because he's been saying it, uh, okay. but I said it first. Um, or maybe maybe I didn't. I, I might <laughs> be lying about that. Um, but, like, this whole analogy of, like, the body, and it's, like, this community is a whole being, a whole entity, and we should think about it that way. So, like, like you can't say, oh, you know what, like, I'm actually really healthy. Like, my arm is falling off because gangrene, but... Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm very healthy. Like, if we have a part of our community that is not growing, it is dying. Um, And that concerns everybody. Because I think, like, when folks talk about, like, a business-friendly environment, right? Like, that doesn't just mean tax abatements. And it doesn't just mean giveaways. Like, it means the state of this whole community. Like, is this a place where people really want to live? And I think increasingly it's important to folks that they don't live in a community where there is this uh, huge gap between folks who have a lot and folks who have barely anything. So, um, but a lot of it, I think, really does come down to relationship, which I'm hoping to be able to build. But the last thing I'll say is it also comes down to, like, civic engagement, right? Like, it is an embarrassment that in my ward, like, 184 people came out (laughs) out of a possible 8,000 folks. Um, So, like... Representatives should get that. And if they don't get it, like, we should get new representatives.
1: Yeah, and that historic disinvestment that you talk about, that my, um, I'm not a expert in the history, but I've been learning a lot more through my role on the Planning Commission. And, like, that, that was a decision. The decision was to expand into, you know, buy fields and make subdivisions and incorporate new areas instead of, um investing in the existing areas, mm-hmm. improving them. And the I, I think the sales pitch was, well, then you, you grow and that generates more revenue. And then eventually the inside, the, the older part get their due. Well, then the housing crisis happened that didn't, you know, then now everything's sort of stalled out. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's these things that we see around them that we tend to just think of them as just the way they are. Like there's decisions by people that like a lead to these things right it's it's Absolutely. not not accidental uh-huh. um but i so i'm always one to jump right into the issues too uh so bring we'll it let we'll have more time to do it <laughs> I did just want to ask one thing because i always find people's perspectives interesting when they've lived in a few different places uh-huh. um i assume at age 10 you have some memories of mexico uh-huh. um but uh, I'd be interested to hear, like, what kind of memories stand out when you were first coming here to Chicago and then, you know, comparing where you grew up with here in Bloomington. Like, um, you know, what kind of things do you see are, you know, what are the kind of the pros and cons, and why do you choose in the end to stay here in Bloomington instead of going back where, where you're from originally? Yeah,
0: sure. So that's a really great question. Um, I think that, um, you know, like my first, like, time that I was, like, really excited as a little kid moving here was, like, going to the library. Like, the idea that there was, like, a place that you could go and get a free book if you just promised to return it, and that was a system that, like, worked, (laughs) just completely blew my mind, right? Or, like, parks, you know, like, the parks were, like, so beautiful and nice and had so many, like, different activities to play with. Like, as a 10-year-old, this got me so, so, so excited because I... Like, grew up, like, never went to a library my whole life. Um, never learned to ride a bike ever because, there like, parks weren't really safe places to be. Like, there was a park down the street from my house where I grew up in Mexico. And um, it was a fountain that, like, I'd never seen it be working. And, like, it was just, like, there were, like, broken bottles all inside the fountain. When I was, like, three or four, my sister fell in the fountain and, like, cut her head open. Oh, um, so, like, I was not a kid that frequented the park ever. I said, didn't le- didn't ever learn to ride a bike, like never got to like walk to school or like hang out in my neighborhood. So it's just like, it's like the little small things that you take for granted, you know, like that three, three block walk to my elementary school. Like when I was 10 he- here in the States, like that was precious. That was beautiful. Going to the park, going to the library. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are all of the things that I also really appreciate about like this community. Um, My parents probably still, like, (laughs) if I talked to them today, they'd be like, oh, you want to move back to Chicago? And, like, I don't because uh, while Chicago had all of these nice things, like, we have a lot of those nice things, but we also have a sense of community in a very real way. Like, people throw the word community around, but, like, it is meaningful that if somebody passes away in our community, if there's a shooting, if there's a... Everybody knows it. Like, we're all... attuned to the same sort of, we're all in the same fishbowl. And that can be sometimes a bad thing because we, you know, you have to continue to exist in the Mm fishbowl, but it feels, it feels real. It feels like tangible community. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We've said before with some other people, I'm wondering if you'd agree with this sentiment that it's like we're large enough to have real problems, but we're small enough where you feel like one person actually can make a difference and, oh, and change it, you know. Yeah. Whereas if you're in, you're just in a small town, it's it's like you know your big problem is, you know, whether how how long the stoplight is at the you know the corner mm-hmm, of the two mm-hmm. roads. If you're in Chicago, the problems are just so massive that like how do you how does one person even do anything there? Absolutely. Um, so I have to. It's a, it's not something I I think it's something that I've learned through talking to all the council candidates and really just like reflected on with that.
0: Yeah, looking at housing policy, I was looking at like San Francisco. I'm like, whoa. I don't even know how you begin to touch that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, but in Bloomington, it's like, yeah, we're big enough that we have a problem with affordable housing and with, like, homelessness, but I'm also like, how many homeless people could there possibly be? And holy crap, if we really put our minds to it, like, we can figure this out. We could have this figured out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like that. When someone can also, (laughs) someone like you can just decide, um, you know, you, you don't have a... Political background of, of running for any other office, mm-hmm. and you can decide, "Hey, I'm, I'm passionate about this, and I think city council is the place to be." You don't have to have this huge political engine and like funding from right. you know tens and thousands of dollars in order to do Absolutely. it. You can have ideas and volunteers and, and um, you know a vision and see if that see if that works for people. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, we're coming up on the halfway point. So what we usually like to do here is uh, what we call a lightning round. I'm just going to say a word or two. You tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. It doesn't have to be a one-word answer, but try to keep it as short as possible. Um, and then if we want to expand on any of them, we can in the second half. So
0: okay. I'm an overthinker. This is going to uh, be brutal.
2: That's all right. Do the best you can. <laughs> all right. You ready? Yeah. First one is Mayor Renner.
0: Um, Uncle Terry.
2: <laughs> Tiff District.
0: Uh, is that a word? Can that count that, as a that, word? That, okay. That <laughs> a word.
2: Um, Miller Park. Um, awesome uh, Grossinger Arena
0: mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even giving you words <laughs> That's right.
2: Uh O'Neill Pool uh, Needed uh, Bloomington Library Needed And Downtown Bloomington Needed
0: uh, <laughs> I, I, Maybe like uh, Growth I okay. don't
2: know Yeah. We could talk more about okay. that So we'll take a quick break And hear from our sponsors And we'll be back with Jen Carrillo uh, Alderman for <laughs> or Candidate for Alderman for Ward 6 We want to take a break to thank our sponsor, Play Normal Esports. Check them out at PlayNormalEsports.com. Did you know they have gaming parties and lock ins? If you're looking for something different for your child's birthday, our game, their gaming parties are just what you need. Contact them for more information. Also, you can game till dawn with their lock ins. March 22nd, 8 p.m. till 7 a.m. It's $35 if you buy online. If you wait till the day of, it's $50. But $35, you get all night worth of gaming. So make sure to check that out at PlayNormalEsports.com. They're located at 802 South Eldorado Road in Bloomington. All right, we are back with Jen Candidate for Ward 6. Jen, you got to explain something to me. Uh, I said Mayor Renner during the lightning round, and your answer was Uncle Terry. (laughs) Let's get some explanation on that.
0: Okay, so I have told him this, so he knows this, um, but that is my, like, in my head nickname for him because um, Mayor Renner strikes me as somebody who, like, in my mind I call him Uncle Terry because, like, just... Whatever he is thinking, he will say it, right? Yeah, and sometimes true. it's like, huh, okay, my Uncle Terry's, uh, yeah. like, talking out here. And um, so I think, like, we are on the same page about a lot of, like, a lot of issues. And I actually, like, I really appreciate him as a person. Um, I think in a council that is, like, very, very cautious, like, he is <laughs> a breath of fresh air, um, do I think that, like, that that uh, model of leadership sometimes backfire? For sure. Right. And and it has been awful to see that happen. Um, So like but generally, like we have a pretty good working relationship. I um, in the in the number of campaigns that I have been involved in, like he has always been somebody that has been able to, like, be very straightforward with me. And like, I appreciate that.
2: I I always say about Terry Renner that um, one of my favorite things about him is I never have to question where he stands on an issue. Yes, exactly. He will be pretty direct and tell me right away. So that's always been good. Um, The second half, we like to dig a little deeper in some of the things that you are highlighting as your platform on Mm -hmm. on why you're Mm -hmm. running. So I have one of your mail pieces in front of me or your uh, door pieces in front of me. So I'll kind of just kind of go through these a little bit and let you expand on it. But let me read them all first. First one is living wages and fair working conditions, a dignified life for everyone, a fair economy, a vibrant downtown, and everybody in, nobody else out i'm going to jump to a vibrant downtown because that also was one of the uh, uh lightning round words but you talk about uh taking the heart of our city uh a more attractive making the heart of our city a more attractive place to live work and play through big and small investments to clean and beautify and revitalize downtown i'll let you expand on that a little bit more how do we do that how's downtown working now and how can we improve it in the future
0: So I think um, downtown is a place where, like, the folks that I talk to, the first thing they say is, like, "Eh, we don't feel like we're getting the love that we need to be getting from the city, which is concerning. Um, And and when I talk about investments, big and small, like, I, you know, so I know that you were on the downtown task force. Right. Um, I really like the recommendations that came out of that task force. Thank you. Um, But... I haven't seen the move. I don't know what your assessment would be, um, but a lot of those feel like very small investments and like things that like if somebody just wanted to get them done. We could have them done already. So, like, when I talk about small investments, like, there's some really low-hanging fruit that we can be uh, partnering with businesses and, like, folks who just, like, have the, the will. And that is the very cool thing about downtown is there's so many people who want to work to make it
2: better. So um, what are some examples of the small, those smaller changes that you think we could get done quickly?
0: I think the, you know, the plant receptacles I don't know what
2: planters yeah Yeah, the
0: planters yeah Um, I think the the lighting is something that we could work on just working Mm -hmm. on more aggressive like garbage removal and snow removal Um, I talked uh, I think maybe it was Doug DeLong who who was like very so he's the one who has the elephant on the side of the building and he's like a great artist and like we were just like kicking it and we were like wouldn't it be great if we like cleaned up the alleys and like painted our artwork in the alleys and wouldn't that be such a memorable downtown and like People would volunteer to do that stuff and, right. like, could add so much character. And, like, that's not even something the city would have to spend so much money on but would make it so much more interesting. Shutting off, like, Jefferson Street um, and testing that theory about, like, what if we made that a, a walkway. I have so many people who tell me, you know what, I take my kids all the way to normal to hang out at that circle just because, like, the kids want like the water feature, whatever, it doesn't feel to me like like we are doing enough exploration and just like, let's just you know throw things at the wall and see what sticks.
2: So speaking specific mm-hmm. task force report, mm-hmm. um, which I'll try not to be on my soapbox too long, <laughs> but but I think a lot of the um, conversation got swallowed by the whole library, Catalyst, Market yeah. Street, Catalyst project mm-hmm. thing, um, which was one relatively small piece of that report. Um, I mean, it, of course, got all the media attention sure. because we talked about a lot of money and a lot of things mm-hmm. going on with it. Uh, but you're right, most of the project... Has to do with parking, uh, beautification, public art, those types of things. Um, why don't you think those things are getting done? Because um, they are small. I mean, w- whether it's you know your opponent or the mayor or uh, the the staff at the city, it doesn't seem like anyone on that page is at least championing that effort. Um, so why is that? Was it is it a funding thing? Do you have any insight at all? <laughs>
0: no, I thought you I thought you would tell no, me. No, I'm sorry. Um, no, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think it's anybody's priority. Like it's yeah. what um, Tyson was talking about is about choices and what we prioritize. And I'm just like not seeing anybody championing that. I think Amelia Burgess has taken a lot of leadership on the issue, but that's only half of downtown. The other yeah. half is represented by my opponent. And um, while I think that. There is some good stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't it doesn't feel like we're pursuing it aggressively? That's
2: I, all. Yeah, I I, I mean I, I have a business downtown and I'm down there every single day, um, even on weekends, and I absolutely love downtown. And there is there is a lot we to we can do, and it just frustrates me. You took, mentioned Jefferson Street. Um, it, it, it was supposed to be brick uh, like we were supposed to redo that with some brick and we're repaving it and, and we did repave it and just things like that frustrate me um, it's like this this was a great opportunity to make that community spot um, even if it didn't close it down we could have made it a more shared space mm-hmm. uh, made it more identifiable with brick be able to put you know the farmers market and other you know summer concerts that kind of stuff there and, and we chose not to so that was disappointing yeah and, and, in, uh, and watching
0: um, that vote go down it was like People were afraid about about how much money we were gonna spend on it, um, but we also close out the year with a budget surplus, right? Yeah. So again, it's it's about choices. It's about what we prioritize and what we think is important. And I'm not saying that that's where that money should have gone, sure, yeah. but I am saying that if there is a will, like we can find a way to fund the things that we think are important.
2: My last point. I mean, I could talk about downtown forever, but my last my last point is I think there's also a misconception for people that don't visit downtowns uh, or don't mm-hmm. visit our downtown. There's been so many candidates, aldermen, mayors... Talking about downtown Bloomington for so long in different races that I think there's a perception that we have spent a lot of money downtown. Mm-hmm. I think I think so when I think a candidate comes around, and be like I want to revitalize downtown. I want to do this. You have people that don't visit downtown and, and but hear that for the last you know ten cycles going well. We've already spent all this money and it's not helping. But we haven't spent anything, and mm-hmm. I think that's important to, for people to know that it's been a lot of talk and and no no money has been spent downtown. I shouldn't say no. Very little money yes. has been spent downtown um, to do some of these things that are in the FAR plan or the Comp plan or, or the downtown task force report. Um, well, I'm been th- thinking that things are in the works are happening
1: like a, a downtown hotel. Like there isn't, I remember when um, two years ago, excuse me, two years ago during the mayoral race, that was a thing like if you elect terry renner then there's going to be a hotel downtown there, there it's been two years there's absolutely no nothing down there but there's a lot of misperception about what's happening but it's so easy like look at the um it's not in downtown but uh, the underpass under washington street over by greentop grocery mm-hmm. that beautiful mural in there M- my my friends who live in that neighborhood who know i'm involved with city politics are like can you thank the city for doing that i'm like city didn't do that that was just people that was local artists who wanted
2: to beautification like to commission it. i think worked on Oh, they did? On, on hand with them. Okay. Yeah. But like, with it, the local artists, so The
1: city right. staff didn't come in and paint the Correct. murals. Correct. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. it, <was, laughs> yeah. it was a city kind of having the, like, getting out of the way and allowing that aspect exactly. of the community to flourish. Exactly. You know? exactly. The painted um, electrical boxes downtown. You know? yeah. like, kids love the sandwich. And, like, can't we paint the, can we just paint the crosswalks? at least? Yeah. like, yeah. Can't, it just. Tell the artists what kind of paint to use on the crosswalks, and there's plenty of people who would get out there and, and do that and donate their time and money in that way. It's yeah,
2: absolutely and, and, unfortunate. And, and do a good and do a better job of marketing it by making a contest. Like have all the artists submit their design and have the public vote on which ones are the best design to do the crosswalks with. Like there's all kinds of stuff that you could tie in marketing and mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of stuff associated with that. Yeah, we so should.
0: many cool things. And, and it's and it's not just an opportunity, yeah, it's an opportunity for engagement, right? Because right? then people take ownership, right? So like mm-hmm. um, in a community in Kansas that I have relationship with through folks that I know there it's like the community came together to paint a mural and then like somebody came by and like spray painted swastikas and gross stuff all over it like the very next day people were out like reclaiming space that like folks were smart enough to get out of the way and like let them have. Because they
2: had buy it. Exactly
0: exactly so I think that we should do that and then I you know as much as I would like to say we don't ever have to spend any money and we can just like paint the crosswalks and it all get figured out, I do also think that there is room to make some bigger investments um, to make sure that we are bringing business owners and helping people like establish businesses downtown and also to make downtown an affordable place to
2: live. So
0: for for mixed
2: income people. So what are some of those ideas you might have of bigger projects we may need or bigger dollar so, amount things? So
0: I think looking for resources, whether they be grants, whether they be loans, whether they there be um, some abatements to local businesses who maybe don't have the upfront capital to, like, um, uh, develop, redevelop some of their existing buildings.
2: Facade improvements, that kind of thing.
0: But even internal, like, so I I hang out with Jan at the Bistro a lot, right? Um, (laughs) A lot of the folks who hang out there are like, man, wish that the upstairs was available for folks to, like, rent out. But it's a historic building. You have to spend a ton of money to get the sprinklers replaced, right? And so, like, that may not be a place where, like, a local business owner has that kind of capital to put up front. Um, But there are things that we can do as a city. We don't have to reinvent the the wheel. There are other places that are doing this. um, And I think imitation is a good form of flattery. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can, like, bring those ideas in and help folks develop those spaces so that mixed income people can live downtown, right? So like, if you create affordable housing, then we will cut you a break on in, in whatever way that we can cut you a break. That kind of nails two birds with one stone in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Just today, I was talking to somebody who was telling me that, like, there's a lot of folks who would be interested in, like, having food businesses, but, like, don't have access to a commercial kitchen to even kind of experiment with that. Mm. So with the vacant properties that we have downtown, like, other places have, like, community kitchens, and you can come and rent it. And that can be kind of a a business incubator or, like, a a place for startups, kind of like a timeshare. I mean, I know ladies in my neighborhood that make tamales, but they can't sell them because they make them from their house and it's not up to right. code, right? But if we create spaces that are inviting to folks like that, like, those those women can become entrepreneurs and we can begin to redefine who we think of as a job creator and as an entrepreneur, which I'm all about.
2: One of the... Uh things that just recently got spoken about at a council meeting or it might have been a committee a whole meeting uh, was connect transit talking about a new transfer center mm-hmm. uh, which was of course part of the yes uh, downtown task force report as, as well but that's an opportunity to partner with probably some other things too I mean obviously I think anybody that spends time on front street can recognize the need for a transfer center downtown and yes. um, There's not enough room in there for the buses to go now. It ruins our infrastructure much more quickly um, Mm -hmm. with all those buses being there. So a transfer center is important, but you could partner with the post office or with um, ground floor retail. Um, Of course, a parking deck, if that is where it goes, on the Market Street site. Mm -hmm. Um, Something like that, too, I think is an opportunity to have some intergovernmental agreements and get some grant funding. Um, mm-hmm. and federal government as well there. So, yeah. all right, we've talked about downtown enough, and like I said, I could talk forever. So yeah, let's, <laughs> let's
1: pick a topic where Jen will do more talking instead
2: of me. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that might be a good idea. Um, we'll, we'll start back at the top. So your number, the number uh, one thing on here says living wages and fair working conditions, and you do talk about raising the minimum wage. Um, obviously, um, Illinois just passed something recently um, that will over time take us to fifteen dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. But talk about how you can impact that on a local level.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the, the state has set. A schedule it is up to us locally to determine whether that is what makes sense I know that there are communities that are trying to find ways to like opt out which is really scary to me right because I think if people work we should value their work with fair pay um and the minimum wage is supposed to be helping people make sure that like they can support themselves right um to kind of connect with the affordable housing thing, I think, like, the statistic is, like, you have to work, like, 2.1 full-time jobs at minimum wage to be able to afford a two-bedroom apartment in our community. Like, that is wild. Um, if you're if you're going to spend less than 30% mm-hmm. of, like, what you sh- should be budgeting for, like, rent. Right. Um, so, I think, like, I'm very supportive of us raising the minimum wage. Um,
2: so, you, so you, just pause. Sorry. You'd be supportive of us Escalating that graduating thing that Illinois has, the graduating schedule, or you're supportive of Illinois?
0: I'm supportive of what the state has done. Okay. I would also be supportive of us taking leadership and moving Going that faster. along faster. Okay. Um, if that's something that we think that we can um, support, and I would encourage us to, like, partner with businesses and, and figure out, like, how do we make that happen, right? Because sure. the thing is, you know, $15 an hour became, like, a catchy thing, but, like, yeah. In five years, is that gonna still be a livable wage? Like, That's fair. probably not, right? Um, but there's a, a number of other things that we can like look at, like um, a fair work week, which is uh, about advanced scheduling. So like, there's a lot of companies. I think Victoria's Secret is like a notorious one. Um, not that I'm speaking about any anything <laughs> local, but like there are uh, places that uh, where they operate with like workers kind of being on call all the time, and like you not knowing about your schedule until like. Right before you're about to work yeah. which makes it really difficult for families uh, especially low-income families to figure out like childcare and transportation and all of these things so like that could be a really simple way to improve people's working conditions is to just say people should know ahead of time like when they're working yeah. um, that feels to me like that's
1: not a very high expectation yeah. I had a friend who worked at Walmart and she was always talking about how upset she was at the at that so it's been going on for a while, and it's just
2: not a decent way to treat people. I think restaurants are notorious for that too, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, a lot of it. Has, uh, so I've heard this argument, and so I, I don't. I, this is not necessarily my argument, but when you pay someone minimum wage, and they get sick, they're not as likely to go into work than if you pay a decent wage. Not not if they get sick. If they come down, like if they're truly sick, they should stay home. <laughs> <laughs> but they're more likely to call in sick if, if they have minimum wage. If you paid them higher, they wouldn't be. But then. When they call in sick, then that's when the on-call stuff happens, and you got to make so it like by just adjusting the minimum wage and a fair work week, you can like solve so many like four or five problems all exactly at once. exactly. Um, and like again, that's not my argument. That's just a, a, something I've read, but yeah. it makes sense on the surface at least. So yeah. yeah,
0: and then I think you know doing whatever we can to support our local unions. Um, you know, one thing that I'm concerned about is the uh, project labor agreements and right. making sure that those are a part of. Um, any taxpayer-funded project that the city takes on, so I
2: can you explain those real quick, just briefly to people that may not know what it is?
0: Sure, yeah, like so it, it's basically uh, an agreement between the developer and you know the trades and labor and you know uh, folks who are going to be working on the project around prevailing wage. So like it's basically them coming to an agreement about like what is a fair, what are the fair working conditions, what is the fair wage for that work, um, and to me, if we if we're going to be spending taxpayer dollars, like those taxpayer dollars have to result in direct benefits to our local workers, and to me that looks like good local union
2: prevailing wage jobs. So I've heard this argument and so I'm going to give you a devil's advocate Mm -hmm. um, that if let's say we make that part of an incentive. So Mm -hmm. hey, we'll give you this property tax abatement or or whatever the incentive is um, if you hire local labor. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't Mm -hmm. then the natural progression be that we're just going to have to get more incentive in in, in a way it's just us paying for a higher price to have local labor uh, as taxpayers. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but I don't, I mean, mean, to me, I I feel like, yeah, if we're going to give incentives, then absolutely that we should do that. But I would like to see us just making that a part of the way that we do business, regardless of whether there are incentives um, involved or not. That just feels like, to me, a good relationship to maintain with local workers, right? Um, Lifting up our economy, like, necessarily has to, be like worker centered.
2: Yeah, and I've talked. I've talked to. I've talked to union uh, guys and g- gals before that um, have talked about specific. Projects in town that I won't name. You can if you want, but I won't name them. <laughs> uh, but but where like you know they hire the labor force to come in from Chicago or Peoria yep, yep. Or, or somewhere out, outside of Bloomington Normal, and they don't even eat lunch here. Like they even get their lunch sent in from, right. from, from yep. outside the community. So you not only are we not paying the people that are working here, but we're also not getting the benefit of those people staying in hotels or eating our food right. and paying those tax. And, and and while they're here, they're also driving on our roads with big construction vehicles, burning mm-hmm. our infrastructure. Uh, So, yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of arguments for that, for sure.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: Uh, So where does your opponent stand on that? Do you know?
0: Well, so um, at least, you know, we were just at a labor forum on Tuesday. Yeah. um, And I think that the words that we are saying are similar. um, But I think, you know, where I kind of get hung up is, you know— now hearing my opponent talk about you know how she is supportive of project labor agreements but then like looking back at it you know you have been in power for 20 years and you know what have you done in those 20 years to advance that right it's not like you know I'm new I have not had a seat at the table right. um, so I can say hey here's this idea that I have and I want to bring it to the city council um, to me it feels like, we can't have the same bar for the incumbent and the person who is just coming in and has never held a seat at the council. So, like, looking back at like the redevelopment of the old Washington High School, okay, um, that was something that the council passed without a PLA, um, and so we don't know who's getting those jobs. Um, and you know, we we've got some certainty that it's not our local folks. Um, that that just doesn't sit right with me. That that feels pretty unacceptable, especially when the city handed over taxpayer dollars to to incentivize that project. Mm-hmm. Um, so so my opponent can say that she is supportive of project labor agreements, but I don't think her track record speaks to her being strong. Your argument more on the action side. Yes,
2: makes sense.
1: So another thing on your platform here is a dignified life for everyone. You, you mentioned in there the fact that there's just areas of our Uh, areas of our city, especially on the west side that are food deserts. Mm What role do you think the city plays and like, what, what what could the city do to try to help improve that situation?
0: Well, so I, I appreciate that there is grassroots advocacy happening around that, um, and the Market Street Council, I think that's a really great idea. Um, I think sometimes the city's best role is to stand out of the way and let other people lead that process, mm-hmm. um, but to, you know, empower and enable those folks with whatever they need. So, like, I think any resources that the city can provide to help them accomplish their goal, um would be well spent. Um, But the other thing is, like, we get to, you know, have a say in zoning and have a say in who else comes into the community, right? So, like... You know, and this is a gut feeling thing, but like when folks in my neighborhood are just like, yeah, there's nothing to eat around here, um, the best that you can hope for is to like walk over to the gas station and, and eat something there. Um, and at the same time, we're building like high v over where Meyer is, over where like there is already a plethora of uh, yeah. options. It's a just Kroger like Kroger right across the street. Exactly. Where, it's yeah. like, well, yeah. what like the city can say we're having a moratorium on grocery stores until a grocery store is built over there or like just, you know. I, again, I'm going to be transparent, right? I am not a policy wonk. Like that is not what I studied, that is not what like what I have lived in in the in mm-hmm. the past 10 years. Like what I am good at is like connecting with people uh, and honoring people's experiences and taking action, right? So so to me it's like I don't exactly know maybe what the exact mechanism would mm-hmm. be that we would solve that problem, but like by golly, like, I know we can solve it if somebody really, really, really wants to um, and and is willing to put down the work and the muscle to make it happen that it absolutely can happen.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll say, like, on a personal level, something that, uh, you know, watching you uh, and your campaign has, uh, along that that line has, like, caused me to reflect on is the different roles that people have in politics and how they are supportive because, um, I I am a policy wonk, and what—I think you're inclined to think of, like, whatever you're good at is the most important thing, right? (laughs)
2: Um,
1: You see that with council candidates. You see that with everybody. Um, It's kind of like where your natural tendencies lie. Mm -hmm. It's like you evaluate other people on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And— I think it's so important to realize that if if you have this great policy solution, but nobody cares, then it's dead in the water, (laughs) right? And we all have – it's all the more reason to work together. If some people are talented at – I mean, if someone said, like, hey, Tyson, throw – get a rally together in two weeks for this thing, like, I – that's not – I have no – I have no clue how to do that. I'm not connected to anyone who can do that. It's not my particular, like, area of interest or whatever. Um, And – you know, it's just all the more reason to work together on these things because we we all need our skills and, uh, you know, to, you know, support each other, uh, you know, towards these goals that we agree with. Because mm-hmm. I, I, too, think it's just, I don't have a policy solution for the food desert thing. But yeah. But I think it's absolutely, I think it's just ridiculous how many grocery stores we have in such close proximity to each other in certain areas of town, and, you um, there's got to be some sort of decision that we're making that's incentivizing that behavior, right? Because mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem logical that, like, Meyer and and Walmart and Kroger's going in right there. It's
2: like, who? All superstores, like, all these. Yeah. Not just, like, small grocery stores. We can't get
1: some kind of store that's over. Stores that you need your taxes Washington done Street and your bananas there. at the
2: same time. So, um, <laughs> yeah.
1: so, yeah, I mean, so let's try to put our heads together on yeah. that, I yes. guess, is what I'm saying.
0: And I love that. I mean, that that is the thing, is. Uh, I, I will be the first person to say, like, hey, I, got, I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I just need to be willing to build relationship with other folks who can, like, help me um, figure out the questions to ask and the answers that we need. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's why the listening sessions, like, and everything is better through the collective. I, it doesn't need to be me, right? Like, I see myself very much as, like, somebody who is holding space for all of us to be represented uh, on the Bloomington City Council. So, ultimately, like, Whether I know the exact answer to every single question, like, I'm not sweating that because I know that, like, that I'm connected to a community that is brilliant and vibrant and can figure out. The solutions to all of the problems that we face
2: Mm -hmm. and and some people have those answers but they don't know it because no one's asking the right questions Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think that's that's a valid point as well um move i'm going to move on to one of your other talking points it it says everybody in nobody out but essentially what you're talking about is adapting our city to be more accessible to everyone Mm -hmm. uh so let's let's expand on that who's everyone and what where are our concerns on that
0: yeah, so I mean, um, you all know by by some of the issues that I've already touched on, like um, the way that s- certain communities are policed in in Bloomington, normal, um, is of great concern to me because I think that that, as somebody who has worked with folks who have um, come back out of prison um, and who ha- or who have been incarcerated, even just in jail. It is wild, like, how quickly your life spins out of control. But, like, you know, even spreading out further, like, being poor is hard. Yeah. Right? Like, it is expensive to be poor, right? And it connects to all of these issues that I've been talking about, right? So, like, if you were poor, if you don't have transportation to get over to one of the grocery stores, like, you're going to have to go to the gas station. And you're going to have to pay way more money for the same thing, right? If you don't have money to buy in bulk, like, you're, not, you're losing money, right? Um, that means also, like, if transportation is so-so, like, you might miss a day of work, which puts you deeper in the hole, right? You might resort to a payday loan, which puts you even deeper in the hole Um, you're not connected to your older person so you uh, don't have a way to like ask for help if you're about to like lose your housing so like all of those things like compound on one another to make life really 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 difficult particularly for the folks in our community that aren't doing well and to me the measure of a great community is how those folks are doing not how like the best paid person in bloomington is doing Um, and the median is is a good barometer but to me that's what really speaks to who we are as a community Um, also you know downtown revisiting that issue like it is not going to be a great downtown unless it is accessible to everybody and right now that is something that the the community that is working on disability rights um is very concerned about is the the fact that a lot of these businesses like are not making themselves accessible um and that that needs to be a priority um
2: and that's something going back to something you touched on earlier that the, I think if you want done, the city has to step in on because of the historic nature of the buildings. Um, there's going to have to be some partnership there to to make that happen. Absolutely. Um, otherwise, because we don't want to what we don't want to have happen is ruin the um, architecture, or the you right. know that kind of thing of uh, the the. the, the beauty that downtown is with the mm-hmm. differences of buildings but we do want to make it accessible and, and accessible not just downtown uh for di- for those that are disabled but like i've always complained um i live on the west side of, uh, of bloomington about our sidewalks are the worst sidewalks in mm-hmm. town and we are probably the community that needs them the most um for people to walk or or, or you know with a wheelchair to get to the bus stop or or wherever they're going stroller Stroll, yeah and, and that that's since I've lived there has been a pet peeve of mine of, uh, you know, I'm tired of mowing my sidewalk is, is something <laughs> um, that kind of thing. Um, and, and you know, just taking my daughter for, uh, you know, a bike ride uh, to the park or something like that and have to have her get off of a bike because there's uneven sidewalks that she could hurt herself on. And that's just, it's unfortunate that that's been neglected for so many years too. Yeah. Um, that's always and,
0: been a, and for just your, you know, like your average able bodied person, mm-hmm. that is a nuisance. Right. Um, For a person who is blind, for a person who has a a, a physical disability, like, that is the difference between you feeling a part of this community and not. And, like, you know, so I want to, like, challenge everybody who's listening, like, just when you go out next time that you're downtown or that you're, like, out in public in Bloomington, like, look around and... See if you see any folks with disabilities, with visible disabilities around yeah. you, right? If you don't, like that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That means like the, the the space that you're standing in is not welcoming, right? Likewise, downtown in terms of like people of color, I mean like that's a real thing. I don't know if other folks notice, but that's definitely something I notice when I'm downtown. Not a lot of people of color hanging out there. So it's like sometimes the answer is what it is in what isn't there, and not what is there, right? So like. There are definitely just a lot of things that we can be doing to bring people more and give them ownership over the over the community. Uh,
2: going back to the sidewalks real quick. Sorry, I get, st- <laughs> I get stuck on Um but like I, it, it irks me a little bit um, because every time. I bring up the sidewalk issue, um, and this is not in front of my house, but it's around my neighborhood. The the city's answer is the 50-50 program, where the resident pays 50% of the cost to redo their sidewalk in front of their house, and the city will pay the other 50%. And I'm like, well... Again, the person that's going to need that sidewalk the most to get to the bus stop, to get to work, wherever it needs to be, probably doesn't have the means to also pay fifty percent of infrastructure of the city.
1: Well, and then you're, <laughs> and then the sidewalk in front of your house is nice, but then like it's just a right. nice sidewalk in the middle of other side. That's not really solving any problems,
2: right? Also,
0: since when?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since but,
0: when is that on you as a, as a resident? That feels like. Shifting a lot of responsibility away. And I understand that we're, that there is limited resources, but like, I am down to sit down with folks and figure out how we grow that pie instead of living under this like model that is about like austerity. And like, we don't have, we don't have anything to invest in anything. And we're just going to keep letting things degrade until like O'Neill Pool can't open until the Market Street Garage literally falls on top of somebody. Yeah. It's just like, no, like. That never works. That that Look at states, look at cities, whose model that is, and those are not the places that are thriving.
2: One thing I'd like to get your opinion on um, is, uh, since we're talking about all my pet peeves today. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, it, Justin. It, no, it's, uh, You want me to leave the room? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the code enforcement in general for the city of Bloomington has always been a frustration of mine, um, and, and it seems particularly um, disproportional to... My neighborhood on the west side as well. Uh, If you see um, abandoned stuff, um, or um, I don't know what I'm trying to think of some good examples, but like uh, abandoned houses or houses that have have left, or um, old cars sitting in front of uh, Mm -hmm. a house, things like that. Um, It seems like the city doesn't enforce those as well. Um, on the west side, and this is my perception only. Mm-hmm. I have no data mm-hmm. to back this up, mm-hmm. um, but does not enforce those as well on the west side as it would if it would happen in you know one of the eagles on the east side. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if that is true. I don't know if it's disproportional. But it's, again, this is a problem that's real to me yeah. as a as a citizen. Um, and my neighbors, I know all take good care of the property. They care about their property. Uh, But when we have to drive by some of these places on the way to get to our house or, or again, take our kids for walks and we have to walk by these things, um, you know, people not... The the people that don't mow their yard for... (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm. Six mm-hmm. months of the
2: year, um, those type of things. I just wish I, I don't know. I think there's a real problem, a real concern with code enforcement in Bloomington, and I wanted to see what your what your thoughts are about, where on that.
0: Yeah, that's my sense too. And I mean, like I said, uh, not to be melodramatic, but sometimes uh, those are those become life or death issues, right? So there um, there have been a number of fires, and I don't remember exactly whether like one of those places was in the ward or right around there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I mean. Luckily, nobody was, like, seriously hurt in the particular example that I'm thinking about. But, like, I had a friend who was in there, just lost everything. And then afterwards, it was like, oh, this building wasn't up to code. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I think that that's a place that I would definitely like to see us uh, invest more resources into. Uh, because, like, the little affordable housing that we do have is oftentimes, like, not in very good shape. But, it, like, even, even bringing it back to your experience, it's just like... There is already this perception out there that the West Side is, like, a place that you don't want to go. And we just simply perpetuate that more and more by disinvesting in that, right? Right. So we are willing to make sure that there's police surveillance all the time, (laughs) um, but we aren't willing to make sure that, like, there isn't, like, abandoned stuff after somebody, like, gets kicked out of their house or that, that...
2: And and I didn't mean to paint that picture, that's all the West Side is. No, 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 no. Because I live there for a reason. I think it's some of the coolest neighborhoods, some of the coolest houses that were built in the the beginning of our city. It's some of the oldest neighborhoods, and I think they're really cool, and that's why we choose to live there. But that's the frustration is when you have people that are passionate about living in these old areas and these historic uh, neighborhoods that— it doesn't seem like we're getting the backup that we want from or need from the city. So We
0: deserve nice things, too. Yeah, And I mean, we have been told for a long time that we can't have them. I disagree with that analysis. Um, and, and you know, what a travesty that we are having the conversation of, like, whether or not O'Neill Pools should open. Are you kidding me? Like, that would not be a conversation about a, a park that was, like, visited to that degree that was you know, a jewel of some of the communities on the the east side. It wouldn't even—I don't—I, in my heart, like, don't feel that it would even be up for conversation.
2: I make the comparison all the time uh, to—we have two parks. These are the two extreme examples, um, but—is it McGraw Park that's behind Central Catholic? Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. So look at McGraw Park, and then look at Sunnyside, or look at, um, you know, some of those smaller parks over on the— It it, it, just—and McGraw got built not— just as a park I mean it's like the Crim de la creme of parks like mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they have they have um, structures there and, and a hardscape there that that belongs a Hawthorne and we can't get you know a mo you know a good <laughs> fence somewhere on, on the west side it's just that's extremely irritating
0: yes um, yes so I want to I want to bring that to the conversation because people's reaction is that you get apathetic. Like, people come around, and they promise you, and you've got an advocate on the city council, so on and so forth, but you just see that, like, things stay the same, and you keep hearing the same narrative over and over and over until people start to believe it. Like, I am here to unearth that narrative that, like, we don't deserve nice things. Um, We're going to make it happen. And we may not have the solution, every single solution right now. But like, if we get somebody in there who like cares and who is down to work, and I feel like, you know, if you tune into like the Facebook page, our Twitter, all that stuff, like, we are down to we are down to do the work. And I think that that has been demonstrated not just in this campaign, but in my history in this community for the past 10 years. Um, and and that's what I that's what I hope to bring into the city council.
1: So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk welcoming ordinance. Oh well, yeah, okay. I, know that I guess that's we got to go there. Yep. So I know that that's a big, <laughs> that's a big passion of yours. Sure. Um, so uh, I guess maybe I'll, I'll offer. A little bit to frame it, and then you can kind of take it wherever Great, you want. Sure. So we talked to Joel Studebaker from Normal, and his position was that they have something called a welcoming ordinance, but it's not really. And he would like to see more done on that. Then Bloomington had something going into place that was pretty similar to what Normal had, and Chief that got pulled out of uh, before a vote, and Chief Wheeler was going to um, clarify the. Uh, the department's policies and essentially what he said is yeah we we do the same thing that normal has even with their welcoming ordinance and so uh first i assume you agree with joel that more needs to be done um but correct me if i'm wrong on that and then also i'm interested in your thoughts about what needs to be in that uh ordinance in order for you to think it addresses the need that people have
0: Okay, yeah, that's like a that's a more nuanced conversation around the welcoming ordinance, which I appreciate. Sure. Um so like so yeah, this whole thing started with like a bunch of community groups. I was a part of that group, um, leading that effort, and uh, you know we were presenting the strongest possible version of an ordinance to both communities, right? And we were hearing like, no, I'll let them go first. No, I'll let them go first. Whatever. Um, and was that basically like no contact
1: with ice? Yes, essentially. Like okay.
0: at at, a, at this at its simplest was like no contact with ice, and also. Um, making sure that like there were some other types of protections in place so uh, and, and really protections is maybe not the word to use but like making sure that folks who are victims of crime who are uh, subject to benefit from certain immigration like possibilities like benefits essentially they're legally entitled to those but they need to have like a point of contact at the police like small things that like It's not big. It would be like, publish the name on the website, but small things that would be very meaningful to a lot of the the immigrants locally. So we were pitching this ordinance, um, and we decided, like, Bloomington was the bulk of where we had undocumented people that we were representing, so we were going to go there first. Um, The mayor was vocal and supportive, which we appreciated. Um, And we thought, you know, we were in it for like a six-month campaign. You know, eighteen months later,
1: Uncle Terry. <laughs> there strikes. we were,
0: Uncle, yeah. Uncle Terry was supportive, which I, which we sure appreciated. But um, you know, at, at, in Bloomington, it was like we never even really got in the room with like. City staff, legal, like, they, they didn't even really, like, give us enough of the time of day and, like, get the meeting of people who were deciders or who could at least make a, a recommendation um, to move things along. So what we basically got is, like, we passed off this ordinance. It got so watered down, like, to the point that it was nothing. Um, and then we have these council members saying, like, this isn't, this is silly and redundant. Like, why would we pass this, right? But it's like, oh, wait, like, you direct the staff, so, like, you, yeah, mm. In Normal, um, we actually did have those negotiations, and those were, like, difficult, but, like, very professional. And, you know, as one of the people who was a part of those those negotiations, like, I'm happy with the product that came out. Obviously, if you ask me if I'm on the city council and I'm deciding what kind of welcoming ordinance to put in, like, it would be a hell of a lot stronger. Um but I appreciated the way that they were willing to, to work with us.
2: Okay, I'll, I'll pause because I think there's, that's something important to point out there, that you weren't happy with the outcome. You wish it was stronger. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you appreciated the process so much that it was something that, I mean, uh, this is oversaid, but like in a good um Um, compromise, Compromise. both sides walk away a little unhappy, right? (laughs) And and it sounds like that's what you had in normal. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I feel that way. Like I, I I did appreciate the process. I will say that. Um, Like I said, I think that the game has changed on immigration on a national level, even now with what's happening in Dwight, like it is going to affect the way things are here. So like more than ever, we need a strong policy. So like, kudos to joel for pursuing that that's absolutely right on um in bloomington gosh i don't even you know (laughs) like um it's just very disappointing and it's very disappointed disappointing to have folks who who know to say the right words but aren't willing to like take a risk and take an action especially on an issue like a moral issue like this like i understand we have fights about like whether the garbage fee should increase $1 and $2 and, okay, fine. But, like, these are people's lives we're talking about, people who already live here, people who are saying, hey, you know, ICE has their job. They have a budget. It's an ever-increasing budget too, right? So if their job is to come through and snatch up undocumented people from our community or from any community, you know what? We are not the deciders of that, so let them do it. But keep our police separate so that our local police can be focused on building relationship with community, on working to prevent crime with our community. Um, and people don't have to be scared that, like, if you are a victim of a crime or if you're just simply—or like, or if you get picked up for a minor offense, that that's going to somehow um, get you into this pipeline that's going to end with you— uh, being kept from your family possibly for the rest of your life
2: i'm going to put you on the spot so if you don't know the answer i apologize okay. I, I didn't prepare you for this it's just popped in my head <laughs> uh-huh. and i'm curious is there data from other communities that have a welcoming ordinance or something similar about um, crimes reported and, and, and that kind of thing because i mean that's the scariest part to me about um about it is that there are people living in our community that won't call the police when they feel like they're a victim because of what could happen like that's mm-hmm like that's honestly terrifying Mm -hmm. Um, so is there any data out there from from other municipalities or communities that that can support that that's not as happening as much I'm sure it's hard to track too because of the nature of it, but
0: yes, I don't have it right in my yeah. head exactly what the city was, but it was like I feel like it was a city in Texas that like had a pretty broad like welcoming stance, yeah. Um, and yet like reported that people were just like much more willing to build relationship. But I don't have those yeah. no, those hard numbers for you, and it, um,
2: unfortunately. And that's like I said, I didn't expect it. Was, <laughs> it was on the spot. I know but, a lot
0: about immigration. Right. I don't know all the things. <laughs> uh,
2: community policing comes to mind. Yes, uh, with that. Be- and that sounds. I mean, it's a buzzword, but. Tim Gleason, our new city manager in Bloomington, came with uh, during the process talking about that. Talking mm-hmm. about wants to bring that to Bloomington more. Uh, how much does that go into this welcoming ordinance thing? Like, how much do we want our police run? You know, what do they call it? Walking the beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, You know, and getting to know the neighborhoods and that kind of thing. Is that is going to be effective at all, or is it not going to be effective unless we also get a strong welcoming ordinance?
0: The latter, I think, okay. right because. Like, what I would argue is that, like, trust has been broken already. It's not like we're working from zero. Okay. Like, like, yeah, if we were just, like, nothing had happened, we're starting fresh, like, could we go out and do this? I would still maybe be a little bit hesitant. But the fact is that, like, we had our former chief of police stand up in a room full of hundreds of people and say, like, that we weren't having these types of contact with ICE. And then we had advocates who went and, like, looked it up, and the data is there, and nobody has had, nobody has been accountable for that, Yeah. right? But but people in our community know that that happened. And they, and going back to how we started this interview, honoring people's experiences, they knew that it was happening. They didn't need us to FOIA that stuff to, to be able to say that. And, and we weren't, like, Decent enough to believe them and to and to honor their struggle and their fear and say, you are members of our community and you deserve the same level of protection and safety that I get to walk at walk around my neighborhood with. You know, um, so I mean, it really is like infuriating, um, but like. All of those things, any program that we would do. I, I have heard my opponent talk about welcoming, you know, having like a welcome wagon and programs that bring immigrants in. None of that can happen if there isn't trust, right? And, and the trust has been violated. The actions of the city council, I think, are pretty reprehensible in, you know, basically skirting away from the issue. Our community has never had resolution, and I don't mean like past a resolution. Sure. I mean closure on this issue and like, we deserve it, the hundreds of people who showed up and engaged in this process. Like, when do you ever get that many people at a city council meeting for crying out loud? Um, and that we don't deserve to even watch our representatives take a vote, to me, is like very, very disappointing.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting to hear you talk through that, because uh, it helps me out a lot, again, as a as a policy person, and I think most of the council you could fairly characterize as policy people. I think then they do look at it like you say and like, what does this do? Like what is this going what if so we vote on this, what's this thing going to change? And if I understand you right, that's missing the point because even if the exact thing that got passed the normal change, the fact that the people weren't included in the conversation, the fact that you and your um, the people in your organizations weren't included is like any outcome is sort of undesirable at that point because mm-hmm. the point is we're not, the point is you're saying we're not having a seat at the table. So it's just kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll hear you. So we'll do this. Are you happy now? It's like, well, no, you still didn't give me a seat at the table. You just are kind of being paternal towards me. Right. Right. Exactly. That,
0: and you're sending a message like we don't care about you. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the message of that sense. Like if we had struggled through that and come out with something like Hey, you know, like maybe folks could live with it. But right now, the signal they have gotten from the city is like, we don't have a strong stance one way or the other. So, like, if there is an ice raid, like, what role would the, will the city play? These are not just hypothetical scenarios. These are things that are happening in communities that have happened in this community. People that I know talk to me about raids that have happened eight, nine years ago, and they remember. And I remember the phone calls that I have gotten when ice has swept through town. So it's like, just because it's not your reality doesn't mean that it isn't the reality for a lot of people here Mm. so i think the the best thing that we can do is to codify a a policy chief of police it's great if we have a a chief that's supportive you know unfortunately i haven't had the opportunity to really talk with him through this policy um, or i guess it's not a policy through this practice like that's great but like then a new chief of police comes in, and who knows? You know, maybe his best friend works at ICE. Um, that's why we have policy in place, right? Because that, that outlives personality, right? right? Like, maybe Mayor Terry Renner isn't about, like, let's dedicate resources to go after undocumented immigrants. But who the heck knows who gets into office the next time, right? That's why we have ordinances. That's why we don't just leave it up to whatever it is that... Um, folks want to do in a given moment,
1: you know. So, yeah. so then I bet your opponent's uh, call for more conversation on it seemed hollow because you view her as b- having been in a position to facilitate that conversation already. Mm-hmm. So, it seems like again words not backed up by Actually, history is that
0: yeah. And that and fair? we have had the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. I have been to not one, not two, not three, not four public spaces where the council was there and, like, in total hundreds and hundreds of people showed up to mm-hmm. be a part of the conversation. I heard overwhelmingly, at every comment se- section, support for the ordinance. Outside of that, I want to think that our leaders are, it's not just like, oh, well, you know, if we get... 51 people who say, let's bring back segregation, and 49 (laughs) that say... I mean, you also have to have morals and values that you're rooted in, and a backbone to actually execute, right? So I'm saying, yeah, I could get a lot of angry phone calls. Like, I personally do not believe that we should be treating anybody like this, regardless of their status. I believe that it's the least that we can do as a city to people who contribute so much, um, who watch our kids cook our food, who are our doctors and our nurses and our teachers it's the least that we can do. So, I mean, I, I might get angry phone calls, but that's, that's, that lies at the core of my values and that's not something that I'm willing to bend. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm disappointed that our city council didn't take a strong stance because it feels like if ever there was an issue um, that, that is connected to humanity and morality, like, that was one.
1: Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, do you have
2: another question? I had a question to lead us into wrapping it up. Okay. Yeah, you
0: guys wanted to talk about the welcoming city uh, or No, that's fine.
2: <laughs> I had, I had, you want to
0: watch me g- get in my bag? No, that's here fine. we
1: are. I just I said just <laughs> one more thing that I, I that I wanted to chat with you about while you were here. Um, because I always I mean, this is just such a good example of when you see when you see people in the media or even like social media, it it, it just does no substitute for actually being able to like have a conversation with mm-hmm. somebody to clarify like where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So, um so I, another thing, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, your slogan, um, when we fight, we win. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think, uh, let me tell you how I, I feel like one could interpret that. <laughs> you, you can tell me yeah. why. You could tell me where I'm <laughs> missing the mark. So um, like I strongly value cooperation over conflict. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about cooperation over conflict as well, too. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a slogan about you know, only winning when you fight with people. Mm-hmm. Does that indicate that that is like a place where you will go to readily, and when you have a disagreement with someone, that you you want to have conflict with them? Is mm-hmm. that?
2: I'll ask a follow answer? up, but I didn't know you were going there. But I'll ask this. <laughs> but because I, one of the biggest um, comments I hear on people that that are are, are leery of voting for mm-hmm. you is that they fear you're going to be too divisive, mm-hmm. which. My natural reaction is maybe we need a little bit of that. But, <laughs> but um, that, is, that is, again, going back, those are people's legitimate fears. They're like, right. you know, I, I understand that, but, you know, maybe she's going to be too divisive on there. And, and so that goes back to Tyson's question th- about the slogan.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So let me break that down yeah. into
2: a couple of different yeah, pieces. We, we yeah, we so,
0: so one is, like, to me, fight, and I don't know actually which came first, the English or the Spanish, but in Spanish it's cuando luchamos, ganamos. And luchamos has a slightly different meaning, right, because luchamos means to, like, struggle through something or struggle for something, right? Okay. So when I talk about, like, fight, it's like, you know, we're fighting for freedom. We're fighting for justice. We're fighting, you know, it's not about, like, when we, when we are in conflict— <laughs> That said, I am not afraid of having conflict because mm-hmm. I, I think that, that like, that the problem is that those, com- that conflict exists, that hypocrisy exists, that dissonance already exists in our community. And if we're just like, oh, hello, good morning, Justin, like, let's just, everything is good and this is a good, happy, polite community where, like, we have a lot of dirty laundry but we're not willing to air it, like, then things stay the same. And it comes out in these sort of, like, uglier Like Mm -hmm. ways, Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm also, like, I feel like conflict is healthy. Like, let's have some conflict about how we, like, address some of these, like, very, very pressing issues. Like, there is no way that you get to justice without conflict. Like, um, I think there's, like, a famous Frederick Douglass quote that I'm going to butcher, but it's, like, people who want, um, like, maybe it's justice or action without agitation. It's, like, people who want the crops without the rain like you need to go through the struggle we need to be able to have the fortitude to grapple through difficult topics to like come out the other end a better Mm -hmm. community Um, the other piece I think about like divisiveness and conflict and again yeah I'm just going to like pitch it to some some other folks who came before me some social justice fathers but like um, Martin King has a a great quote about, you know, we, the people who participate in direction in direct action are not the creators of tension. We are merely the people who expose the tension that already exists. So, um, you know, yes, I will talk about racism and I will talk about immigration and I will talk about poverty and I'm not the one creating the divisiveness, like the divisiveness on immigration. It's a little secret, but it already exists in our community, in our country. Like, so by bringing it up, like, I'm I'm hoping that we can kind of work through it, heal from it, um, as opposed to, you know, keeping it hushed. The last thing I'll say is, like, you know, I'm a vocal, um, like, woman of color. Like, so this whole, like, I'm, you know, I'm mean or I'm conflictive or whatever, like, it's something that I think It comes with the territory. So uh, anybody that actually knows me and has worked with me, like, know that I'm down to sit down and and talk. And, yeah, I have strong beliefs and strong ideas. And I think that's a good thing. Um, And I respect other people who also have strong beliefs and ideas. And I think that we, again, we come out better when we're actually willing to bring those to the table in the spirit of collaboration and the spirit of community.
2: I say, for me, I've said this before, what I've always appreciated is when, some people look at this as being phony or fake, and I don't think it's true at all, especially when you're talking about government. But when you can sit up on the dais um, and have a heated conversation in public with another alderman or a colleague, and then you can go grab a drink afterwards. Um, People might see that as fake, fake or phony or whatever, but I think it shows that you have strong opinions Um, and you're vocal about them, and you're going to highlight those for the public, Mm -hmm. Um, but you're also civil enough to be able to understand that they're up there, too, to make the community a better place. You just are looking at it from different lenses. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we talked about sidewalks earlier, and I'll Mm -hmm. bring it up. One more time, just to throw this kind of analogy there, is I appreciate that you're kind of looking at the same problem as somebody else, but through a social justice lens. So, sidewalks, someone's upset because their sidewalk looks like crap in front of their house. That's their lens. You're upset because that sidewalk's stopping a wheelchair from getting to. A bus stop or, or their job, mm-hmm. so it's the same problem. You're looking at it from slightly different, uh, a slightly different lens, but you can work together in a heated way and still come together to fix the actual problem of the sidewalk. Absolutely. Right? So yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, unless your opinion interferes with my ability to like exist, right? Like, right. because I also don't think that we like should equate those things, right? Like, if you're like a white supremacist and you're just like <laughs> sure. you shouldn't be allowed to live, I'm like, sorry, bro, we're yeah. not gonna go get a drink that, afterwards. Right? Yeah. So there are some disagreements in politics, especially to. Day that I'm like sorry, like yeah. there is no no place for us to. But I think on the local level. And, but a on a local level, life. it's like we agree on a lot of things. Yeah. So like let's work off of that um, and and recognize that like this is this is what politics is and always has been. So um, when I got into this, like I knew I was going to have to have pretty thick skin and be willing to like have a healthy exchange of ideas with people who do not think like me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that will shake things up. And I think that that is what we
1: need. Yeah, I think that's. I'm yeah, you know, I'm glad I asked got a chance to talk to you about that because um yeah, i am someone who grew up in around a lot of different uh nationalities. I went to international school and mm-hmm. um understanding like how words don't necessarily get captured mm-hmm. in English in the same way as they do. Um and you, you don't want to say, like, when we struggle, we win. That doesn't make any sense. Right, exactly. <laughs> so what, are the words, what other word are you going to pick there? But, like, when you, you know, it's, like, striving for better things and, like, being willing to have that conflict if it is necessary. Like, that's yeah. something I believe very strongly is I try to get along with everybody. That's an yeah. a, a important thing for me. Um, I try to be kind and I... Um, I don't like conflict. It makes me uncomfortable. But um, there are times, like, if you're just not willing to have it, then that just means that you're, like, impotent, right? Like, uh-huh, you have uh-huh. to have some sort of strength to, like, back up where you're, like, if if someone wants to go to the mat with me, like, I am able to do this, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. You don't jump right to that. Right. <laughs> um, all the time because then you're just fighting everybody and you don't get anything done, exactly. right? But... Um, but if you think that not having, like, any sort of power is the way to achieve your goals, then, you, like, you're not going to be successful at that, right? Do you right. agree yeah, with that? Yeah, if you're
0: not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. that, that that absolutely uh, that absolutely resonates with me and, yeah. and rings true. And, like, but, like, speaking of conflict, like, I am done with the telenovela that is the Bloomington City Council, right? So, like, let's have <laughs> the conflict be about the things that are going to actually improve people's lives yeah. and not this sort of, like petty yeah. stuff that kind of comes down to personalities like not yeah. congealing well. Uh, I am very excited. Um, although there, I think that there have been some good city council members um, that, you know, over the past four years that I have seen, seen do great work. Amelia is one that comes to mind. Um, I am happy that we're going to get a, a fresh new crop of faces regardless of the outcome of this election. Yeah. And I think that will shake up that dyna- dynamic and hopefully get us uh, moving on some of the things that matter. So...
2: All right, Jen. Well, we I, I suspected this might happen, but we went over our time. Uh, <laughs> the, I, 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 I want to give you one more opportunity, though, to make sure you say anything that you want to make sure our listeners uh, need to hear uh, regarding your campaign. Make sure you plug any kind of Facebook or website that you want them to go to for more information as well.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, hopefully you already know that there's an election coming up on April 2nd, but uh, you can vote starting like... Monday, um, so like Monday through Friday, 8:30 to 4:30, there is early voting at the uh, McLean County Government Center. Uh, they're also offering it two Saturdays, which I think are the 23rd and 30th, from 9 to noon. Um, and you know, I, I am running for Bloomington City Council because I believe that we deserve choices, and you know, this is the first time that Ward Six is getting a real choice, uh, and I uh, think that. We are better as a community um, when we are willing to um, take everybody's issues, everybody's problems and like face them together. Um, but I am tired of uh, the politic of a lot of talk and a lot of listening and not a lot of action. So you know folks who are considering who to vote for like have my commitment that I'm gonna be somebody who doesn't just, uh, talk the talk but also walks the walk so you can learn more about uh, me and what i'm about um, at our website which is uh, wwwgenforward 6com and that's also the handles on all of our social media. jen with two n's uh, f-o-r-w-a-r-d and the number six
2: all right that's jen curio candidate for ward six bloomington city council jen we appreciate you coming on i know you were out canvassing earlier today <laughs> and it's a busy busy time for you so we appreciate you taking the time thank thanks you for so having much. me yeah thanks We want to make sure we thank our sponsors one more time. It's Play Normal Esports. That's where we record these each and every time. So we sincerely appreciate them. Uh, they're clo- located at 802 South Eldorado Road in Bloomington. Oh, you can find out more at playnormalesports.com. We also want to thank Little Beaver Brewery. They are located um, right by the Big Golds Gym. If you go to the Big Golds Gym and look across the street, you'll see them. They have delicious stouts and porters and cream ales and all kinds of stuff. They are also serving food now, so it's a great place for a happy hour to enjoy a few cocktails. Make sure sure that you vote. Early voting is now. You can go to the government center and vote, depending on where you live. It's all in the same building, though, so they'll direct you. And if you can't get there early, make sure you vote on April 2nd. Um, your vote matters.
1: Council candidate, Jen Carrillo, running for Ward 6 in Bloomington. How about you do an ad, Justin? Oh, I can do that.